Hey everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. We're an exploration of everything that's dark in history, mysteries, the paranormal, and everything else. We explore the noir, the unknown, cryptozoology, UFOs, paranormal, and all the dark stuff that happens in the Ozarks. You can find Dark Ozarks on Branson Podcast Network on Facebook under Dark Ozarks, as well as our YouTube channel, Dark Ozarks. We'll leave no stone unturned to bring you the dark history, mysteries, and legends of the Ozarks. Welcome to the Dark Ozarks. We are discussing mirrors, specifically magic, fairy tales, and ghosts. From death customs to telling the future, mirrors have had a central place in the supernatural for thousands of years. We will get back to that in a minute, but first we want to remind you that the Dark Ozarks podcast is now available on Branson Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Substack, or about any other podcast platform. So what might uh, surprise people about that mirror hanging on their wall? There could be a lot of things uh, from divining the fortunes to looking into the future to trapping spirits. And yeah, we're looking at you, Bloody Mary, Uh, all the way to interdimensional travel. There have been a lot of theories through time associated with mirrors. And there are a few magic mirrors here in the Ozarks as well, if you believe the stories. We will return to what might be behind your foggy bathroom mirror in a minute. But first, we want to invite you to like, follow, and subscribe to Dark Ozarks on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Substack, as well as your favorite podcast platform. We also invite you to become a Dark Ozarks subscriber on Facebook. On the Dark Ozarks Facebook page, click subscribe, have your login information ready, and join Dark Ozarks behind the scenes for only $4.99 per month. Your $4.99 per month subscription allows you to come with us on paranormal investigations, deep dive research, and topics too controversial for public view. The next 100 subscribers will be entered in a drawing for a free Dark Ozarks t-shirt and an exclusive signed first drawing copy of the book, Dark Ozarks, The Spook Light. Subscribe today to be entered in the drawing. And now you can get Dark Ozarks t-shirts for sale at darkozarts.com and paranormalsciencelab.com. We encourage you to check out Always Buying Books in Joplin, Missouri, in person and online on Facebook and at the website alwaysbuyingbooks.com for all of your reading needs, including a large section on the paranormal, history, and more. Not to mention, the building is haunted. Tell Bob and Elise that we sent you. We also want to thank Beard Engine Brewing Company in Alba, Missouri. Beard Engine Brewing is the only English-style brewery in Missouri and has been twice named Missouri's Best Brewery by the Missouri Brewers Association. Great beer and great food in a historical building with a noir past. And yes, this building is also haunted. Tell Nate and Tip that we sent you. Absolutely. Great stuff. Great people. Uh, I need more books. I would be happy to have more beer. Yes, same. So we'll be making that happen soon and maybe some announcements for some public events. 
excited about that. We are coming up on that season. And of course, I encourage people to just uh, be watching darkozarks.com and the Dark Ozarks Facebook page for all of that. And I'm going to be scared to brush my teeth uh, tonight. <laughs> you know, beyond beyond just the, the normal scare when you turn the light on. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm scary enough uh, all by myself, but there there is something um, there is something truly unsettling about mirrors once you you sort of scrub away the uh, ubiquitousness of mirrors in our daily lives that's true and you know it is kind of interesting because um lore around mirrors goes back thousands of years worldwide but it kind of breaks down two ways of how it developed particularly in ancient times um the west was more creeped out by mirrors overall i'd say than <laughs> uh, <laughs> the east um and you can see in the lore that developed um e even in the near east going back to the ancient egyptians there there really was not this negative or fearful side so much in fact mirrors were a means of communicating with the gods um and my guess is the ancient egyptians would be a little perplexed at some of our uh phobias about um about death and mirrors and so forth um, and then in the Far East, in China and Japan in particular, magic mirrors had a completely different connotation of what magic was than developed in the West. They did, they really did. And, and I found that very fascinating. Uh, there is actually a, a extraordinarily rare uh, Asian magic mirror, apparently in the uh, fine arts collection in Cincinnati. Yes. And basically, I mean, they, they were works of art. Um, not many survived, but basically they were metal and with uh, light shown on them, they become translucent and mm -hmm. etchings on them are then reflected onto a you know, white wall or surface. Um, much like magic lanterns became um, in um, the 18th and 19th century in the West, uh, where basically you would uh, have an image backlit by a candle or whatever that was projected by a lens onto a wall. Um, but they were doing this with metal thousands of years ago. <laughs> Yes, uh, we're we're talking about a, a bronze discs that it is it is really fascinating. From what we can tell, they they in terms of the craftsmanship, uh, we're, we're really not sure how they made them. We just know that they made them, and 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 we know that because a few do still exist. But they the the craftsmanship um, would have to be amazing for this to happen because the the symbols and the images that would be cast were not visible by the naked eye 
No, it was only when you were actually using using the mirror uh, with a with a very strong light source that it would reflect the patterns. And uh, from apparently what we can tell, the, the uh, magic mirror in the Cincinnati Art Museum does date to the 15th or 16th centuries. Uh, but they, uh, the, the records are that this type of mirror uh, was first created in China during the Han Dynasty, uh, which is uh, 200 BC to 200 approximately AD. Right. So, um, and it may be a little different conception of the idea of magic of what we're used to discussing on Dark Ozarks or in the West generally, but I, I could certainly see why they refer to them as magic uh, mirrors because right. there would be no, no apparent means of, of um, eliciting these images. Very, very true. And <clears throat> based on what seems to be projected from the mirrors, uh, the, the mirrors appear to have been created for religious significance. And mm -hmm. that, you know, I think is a, an important aspect. These were, had, had great um, supernatural significance, or at least directed toward a supernatural uh, focus, a religious focus, a faith focus. Um, which, albeit not necessarily paranormal, is still significant within the realm that we're, we're talking about oftentimes in, with dark Ozarks. And for, for an Ozarks connection, there's a, a pretty strong indicator, certainly a potential existent rumor, that a uh, Chinese army um, may have marched through the Ozarks all the way to the St. Louis area. In the 1400s, yes, that yes. is true. Uh, um, might have had, might have had a disc with them, but <laughs> another another interesting um, opposition to the West is that now often mirrors are uh, placed in temples, in uh, Buddhist temples, in uh, Shinto temples, both to as protective devices and to repel ghosts and evil spirits. Um, and also in Japan, often they're viewed with this purpose in the homes. Whereas in the West, we worry about things being trapped in the mirrors and what could get through them instead of protecting us from those things. It is an interesting point of comparison. And, and of course, mirrors uh, figure heavily in Feng Shui. And, and again, mm -hmm. just the, the placement um, for, in general for utilizing the, the movement of energy, repelling negative energy, uh, moving positive energy uh, within a space as it, it, it's not that dissimilar to me to, uh, for example, having winding paths leading to the door instead of straight ones, uh, or putting a bottle tree next to uh, next to the path to the front door. Very, very true. Um, and if we um, uh, also look at the history of witch balls, um, 
in the West, which, you know, witch balls were used to repel or um, to repel witches or the evil eye. And if you have a witch ball that has spun glass inside it, um, they are said to trap evil spirits or evil witches. Um, I have several in my house, in fact. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Yeah, there's several hanging in the dining room. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is, now what do you think, is obviously with aspects of the West, there, there are negative connotations with mirrors in the West, mm -hmm. uh, as well as just a lot of lore. What do you, what do you think in terms of the more negative lore that we've grown up with here in Western civilization? Um, one, that you could lose your soul into a, a mirror. Um, and that can happen in several ways. Um, the other is that there can be things on the other side of the mirror, uh, whether it be in, you know, the other world beyond the veil or another dimension that could find their way through and cause you harm. I think, I think those are probably the two, two things. And, and they both are premised on the fact that the mirror is permeable. You, it is a surface that can be um, traveled through or across. Right. And so what we're really doing is that we're looking at the mirror as a doorway into the door. in, into a world we don't know. Right. Um, and, and that could have consequences of death, loss of your soul, or, you know, eternal entrapment. Yes. Or letting, or letting loose the beasties that, that could wreak havoc. <laughs> yes. And I do find it interesting. So uh, as again, as with a lot of magical lore, you the the advice that you get is often contradictory, mm -hmm. uh, very uh, head to head contradictory. So, in some cases, breaking obviously we all know that uh, breaking a mirror is seven years bad luck. So that is just. A, a an understanding in our culture you don't have to explain its provenance we just know that's part of good luck versus bad luck but often people don't know why why is it seven years yes and uh the but the other thing that i think is interesting is that in some cases breaking the glass might open the portal mm -hmm. in other also, Western lore, breaking the glass might close the portal. That's true. Um, and I guess, to be perfectly honest, you never really know in one given situation which way that's going to work. So it's, 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 kind, it's kind of like the movie scene when, you know, someone's disarming the bomb and they have to pick between the two wires and they're not sure and it's 50-50. And um, so sometimes it kind of works that way with breaking a mirror in these situations. 
So if you are ever presented with a cursed mirror and you don't know whether to keep it in one piece or break it, just check your watch and see how much longer your movie is. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You'll find out. <laughs> if you're, yeah, it just, just, just depends on which act you're in. But other than that. But, but um, before I forget, uh, some people may be wondering, you know, why seven years? And I, yeah. I remember, uh, you know, younger years going, why seven, you know? And I've heard people say, well, seven, seven is just, you know, it, it, it's a, you know, a number surrounding luck. But the lore actually is a little deeper that supposedly, that seven it takes seven years for you for a soul to migrate if it's lost mm. so is this based on the idea that there's a soul trapped in the mirror and that breaking it releases it into the ether um well that breaking it actually can can cause cause you to lose your soul. Gotcha. And, and and in which case, um, some of the lore says bury the pieces and don't ever look at the pieces, because that's mm -hmm. how you can lose your soul into a broken mirror. Um, but um, if all else fails, to grind it up to basically dust yes so i'm not sure you know again it's do i bury it or do i grind it up <laughs> and i think that grind it up and bury it <laughs> even even with the idea with the the lore the protective lore around it around the mirror there is it is perhaps significant that there is duality within that that there is constant contradiction even in what to do, you know, <laughs> in case of fire, break glass. Uh, no way, go. That, uh... Especially if the fire's on the other side of the veil. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you just keep that there. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the idea which, you know, we're going to get into some some individual experiences that uh, that begin to move this out of the realm of uh, a theory and into actually contemplation as far as investigation or uh, occurrence. But the idea that it's at the at point of death. You make sure that the mirrors are covered because the person's soul could be trapped in them after it exits the body at point of death. Yes, that basically they see the mirror get confused and go into it and it can be trapped. And so, um, and then usually the lore is that this is a risk until they're buried, um, which I find is a bit of a conundrum because. The idea that is the, the soul separate from the body, but once it's buried, it, it's okay. I, I, 
Right. I, and I think, I think obviously the, the, the idea is something that is, is a bit more, that is probably a bit old fashioned for most of us, but the idea mm -hmm. of resting in peace in a consecrated graveyard. Likely that's, 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 that's probably, that's probably where that comes from. Um, but then again, there's stories of, you know, haunted graveyards that go back hundreds of years. So, yes, or at least, at least if they're going to haunt something, they're not going to be stuck in your mirror. Uh, they're going to be at the graveyard where they can be contained. <laughs> Well, they're they're pre-contained in the mirror, but you know you just yeah. have to look at them while you're brushing your teeth. Exactly, you don't want to do that, so you put them in the <laughs> graveyard, the consecrated graveyard. I'm fully riffing here, uh, and and this this is again once you're once you're dealing with investigation and once you're dealing with lore, you really have to separate yourself from the the very concrete. Uh, logical and rational physics that we're accustomed to dealing with because oh, yeah. you you once you begin interacting with the spiritual realm uh, or realms the rules of physics don't apply therefore our rules of logic don't necessarily apply and so you do have to exactly. take these on on a case-by-case -case basis in so many cases there seems to be um, nothing about a, a graveyard or mirror that is tethering or trapping or keeping or um, enticing uh, a spirit to stay within that location. And so for us as investigators, for example, with cemeteries, um, you know, it's bad luck to go to a cemetery at night. It's spooky to go to a cemetery at night. Oh my gosh, you'd never be at the cemetery at the stroke of midnight. You'd never be at a cemetery um, <laughs> during the witching hour. These types of things. And we do that on a regular basis. We're not, it's not creepy. It's oftentimes very beautiful, very peaceful. Even when there is paranormal activity, it can be very, oh, yeah. very, uh, very positive experience. And that's something that I think a lot of, uh, would be ghost hunters or people who are excited about it or allured by it would would be scratching their heads that that interacting with the dead um can be a very peaceful beautiful and enriching experience and there's in the vast majority of cases there's nothing to be creeped out about and at the same time i think it's very important for us as investigators and, and folklorists and, and historians to approach those rare instances when um, the dogmatic lore somehow applies. And True. That happens too. It doesn't happen across the board, but then it can happen according to the lore or, or in accordance with the lore. That, that's true. And, and, and that, that brings to mind one one piece of lore that fits into all of this because it has to do with the soul is that we all know that uh, you know in in the vampire movie or the werewolf movie that 
they have no reflection. And the idea, the reason they have no reflection in mirrors because they're at this point have no soul or the werewolf would have a soul in human form, but theoretically not in werewolf form. Um, and then logic, and then there's lore that basically goes the same for demons that a demon does not have a reflection in the mirror, although he could be trapped in the mirror and you could see him, but we, that's another, <laughs> but that's, that's, another that's another algebra problem. Um, <laughs> X and Y are not, anyway. Uh. <laughs> but so much of this is tied up into the the interaction and relationship between your soul, between a soul and a mirror. Um, it yes. is the, it, and that is also why um, there, there are um, devices that basically came out of the middle ages and during the witch hunts, they're called witch bosses. Um, and basically, and I, and they, they can be employed in, uh, investigations as well I, i've used them before basically a bots made out of mirrors all facing inside the idea is that uh, spirit is trapped in the box um and um technique that uh can be used and i've used before is actually you have the mirrored box and it's sealed on all sides and you have an audio recorder in it inside the box while you do a EVB session. It's a little, a little bit different play sort of on the Estes method that's so big right now. Um, but um, it goes back to the idea that in the, in the middle ages uh, during witch hunts that um, you could trap a witch's soul in the witch box with the mirrors. Interesting. In terms of the investigation with, uh, you know, paranormal investigations, what what are your your thoughts about using a witch box? Um, I don't know that it really does anything one way or another that you get any more. Um, results we would we would do we would use it and then have separate recorders in the same room the idea comparing do you do you get different responses inside the bots or or more clear responses um and really really didn't get any significant evidence indicating one way or the other um and that's probably why i haven't done it in quite a while <laughs> however you know however i do think that um you could probably experiment with something along those lines and then um with magnets and electricity that that you might get something more very very true it's it's uh, it just as we're talking it reminds me um Growing up, there was one uh, family member's bathroom that had opposing sinks. It was a, a like a galley yes. sink, 
the the uh, what do they call it? The, it's not the eternal. Oh, what I, I just the phrase just left my brain. Where it's an eternal mirror image. Yes, very. You never stand, you're not supposed to stand between them. And when when you when you have to walk between them to get to the toilet, it's a little <laughs> difficult. And I don't think the designer <laughs> thought about that. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting obstacle course. <laughs> How bad do I have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was about nine at the time. Um, had I known the lore, I guarantee you I'd have been on my hands and knees crawling under the sinks between the sinks uh, to, to go to the bathroom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it really, I, I think that's interesting. I found it fascinating. Uh, for the record, I did look at myself in that, in that space. I would actually goof off because you you know you poke your head in and look one way and you'd see like your head into infinity yes yes it was quite entertaining however that could mean that uh that my soul has actually been splintered into infinity and there's you know we released uh an infinite number of nine-year-old joshes into the uh interdimensional plane which actually could explain a lot of what's wrong with everything at this point. Uh, all because I had to go to pee. That, that's the truth. I just had to I, pee. I, I, I wasn't going to say, but so it, might, it might actually explain a few things. <laughs> oh, it, it really does. It really does. Um, yeah, I'm it, actually, it explains. Yeah, it does. I won't. I won't argue with that. Um, now the flip side is, and I and I forget the name of uh, it, the pandemonium room. Basically, I can't remember the the name of it. Um, yeah. which is a uh, a room that uh, is all mirrored, and uh, now in Eastern traditions. It is a good thing. It is um, often used to do yoga in and to focus the mind. Um, so again, it's a situation where the same thing is viewed very differently in the East versus the West. It, it is, it is. Um, it does remind me of something that I'll probably get strung up by my toes on, but you know, there's at least an infinite number of Joshes running around in ultimate other universes, I suppose. So it doesn't matter. Uh, but as someone who is a long time yoga practitioner, I've, I've done yoga for a long time. Um, yoga is a really good way to come face to face with your subconscious. Yes. Uh, especially in the, um, in, in the meditation portions. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I know that because I've done it and I have, have, have done, you know, a lot of that practice and there are times that coming face to face with your subconscious can be very unsettling, especially if we're very repressed over particular emotions at particular times. 
And I, I have a strong opinion on this that individuals who have a, have a negative opinion about yoga and the idea that you know it's somehow demonic, et cetera. And I've heard those arguments. And I and I respect those positions, but in so many cases where we're not meeting something dark, we're meeting our subconscious and it's scaring the hell out of us. Yes, and, and for those that are that scared of it, that there, you know, for me, I'd be more concerned of why you're so scared of facing yourself than <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, and I think Oh, I, I was just gonna say, you know, if, if, ironically, I find that you you hear that more these days than you used to. Um, I remember when I started hearing that argument, I, I thought, what? You know, it, it doesn't make much sense if you have practiced yoga, um, mm-hmm. but that's just me. <laughs> and I and I have I I practice yoga a lot. I'm I'm. A very it's something that I find very very effective very important um and for for those of us who do it it's it's a very powerful and beautiful expression but you do uh <laughs> you do come face to face with your more darker sides I think the mm-hmm. the big issue is that if you don't realize and and this is easy enough to have this happen if you're not uh, schooled in the process, if you're not, oh, if you don't have the awareness, you can encounter things within this, uh, within the meditation, within the processes that are scary, and you don't mm-hmm. realize that it's something that that is that is a part of yourself that you have to work through. In the same sense that most nightmares are simply our subconscious trying to get our attention about something, and we're too busy to listen. Exactly. And, and I mean, and, and this, the same goes for different aspects of paranormal investigation as well. Um, I think that, um, you know, sometimes when people have a negative experience, it's often because of their own fears, their own emotions and mental state and and not as far as mental health but just are you in a good state of mind at the time Um, that that leads to these situations that then people have um, a a very strong reaction against and feel that it's very negative where um, and and they project that onto the environment or the spirit or entity involved Whereas a lot of times it's more the living person that is the catalyst for what's going on. Oftentimes it is. And, 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 and all of this is happening on an energetic level that doesn't involve or doesn't necessarily involve uh, verbal communication. Very true. Very true. And, mo- and, and most people are not adept or experienced at that kind of communication that kind of sensory perception and so when suddenly it happens I I find that people either either have a 
sort of that um, almost a fight or flight dichotomy. Either they accept it in real and accept that they are a part of this exchange mm -hmm. of energy, or it's, oh, whatever that is, it's bad. Yes. I, and I think this is, this is, was, I didn't really know this is where we we're going to go, but I think this is really important, not <laughs> only to, to mirrors, uh, right. and mirror, but also just in terms of, of paranormal investigations as a whole, or finding yourself perhaps inadvertently, as I am wont to do, inadvertently in, in uh, uh, spaces that have a lot of activity. And it's for people who are, you know, for example, freaked out about the yoga aspect uh, because of its, its uh, uh, Eastern religion aspects, uh, bringing it back to something that has no religious connotation to it whatsoever. For, for me, which is how I typically um, center myself before going into uh, a, uh, an investigation, is coming back to the space as though I were walking into a, a stable full of horses. Okay. Uh, because horses communicate via um, more on an energetic level, obviously there it's nonverbal communication. We do know that they have a very um, sophisticated communication process and they react to energy. If you've ever ridden a horse, you know that they're going to react or, or you, you, if you're going to get on a horse, you need to understand that they're going to read your energy and take cues uh, from you or react badly from you. One of the, yeah. one of the two. And so moving your yourself into a, a centered place where you're simply existing, observing, and not pushing uh, is, is really crucial in terms of interacting with horses. So for example, if I'm getting ready to, and I, I love, I love animals, but I love big animals. And, uh, you know, so I, <clears throat> don't have a problem, for example, walking into a corral full of horses. But I need to make sure that I'm doing it the right way. Exactly. Well, I mean, it, and that, and honestly, that, that comes with being around large animals uh, in general. I mean, it's something you learn growing up with them. I grew up on a, on a ranch. And so, um, and I think that often people forget, I mean, people react on an energetic level. Uh, they, we do. We all do. Um, a lot of people don't recognize that or make that connection, but, but we do. And if you walk into any situation, whether it's investigating or a group, you know, a room full of people, um in a lot of ways it's the same skill set um and and it it is important to recognize that you are you are part of that process if nothing else because of your reactions and and by just um divorcing yourself as an actor in the in the process um, 
it, it's sort of like cutting your nose off to spite your face. It, it is. And it's something that we see a lot with this sort of postmodern superficiality, uh, sort of the plastic society uh, approach that mm -hmm. uh, I think many uh, of us in the West and many of us in North America in particular, and in the United States in specific, are really uh, that we're, we're inured within, we're inculcated within this, this process. And the, the uh, mistaken belief structure is that we as an individual I am somehow above, separate, and not part of the world around me. Yes, that, that, that's a good way of putting it. It's, it's the idea that we're essentially othering everything uh, that might be the, the, the other people in the, the, the banquet. Um, <laughs> it, it might be the other, for example, interacting with animals as though there's some sort of other, as opposed to we're, we're sharing energy on a one-on-one on -one -on -one basis. And then it really becomes the other when it's the paranormal. Very much so, um, which um, it is a is a large part of you know we mentioned um, witchcraft and witches earlier, um, which is a large part of what is magic, what is witchcraft. The whole idea is people who can do something. Yes, that's yeah. the environment and. And often in our postmodern society, we say, oh, that can't be done. And it's just written off. But affecting the environment, affecting the energies in a room on a fundamental level is exactly that. It is. It is. And it takes on many forms. Um, and and because again, we're, we're dealing with an energetic tool set. These tools can be used for a wide variety of reasons. And it also depends on the perspective of the person employing the tools or the perspective of the person who is the beneficiary of the results of the tools to decide whether or not that's good or bad. That's, that's true. And it, it makes me Kind of coming full circle a little bit in the discussion makes me think a little bit about some of the ancient uses of mirrors um, or and, I, and most people think of mirrors as a glass object but basically a a very shiny object whether it's metal it could even be stone or, or whatever um, goes back to the ancient egyptians in the use of mirrors to travel uh, basically to the other world and back. And the process that they believe that mirrors played in, in that is very much what in the 21st century people would call astral projection. Yes, yes. And to me that is both fascinating and it might actually be laying the groundwork for 
things trapped in mirrors or the idea that a part of you goes someplace else and can't find its way back. True, true. Um, but you know, the conception that they used was that basically through the use of the technique with the mirrors that you would be temporarily detached from your body. Yes. Trapped. Um, and, and they didn't really seem to have the concept of being trapped in the mirror. Um, Mm -hmm. that it was more just a tool to use kind of like getting in your car <laughs> and it, it one something that we something that seems to be consistently implied uh with the study of the ancient world is that the ancient world may not necessarily have had you know our technology but that they had a highly sophisticated understanding of, for example, what we're talking about, these energetic processes or a better understanding of what we would call the subconscious or the astral plane, uh, mm -hmm. these types of things. The things that in, in so many cases that we here in the West are barely discovering or we have a, an infantile knowledge of if we have any knowledge of it at all and one possibility i'm just throwing this out here i have no idea what i'm talking about i'm just spitballing but um certainly with the the fall the the monolithic weight of the roman empire which seemed to place a lot more emphasis on uh, governance and military than it did on inner journey. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the collapse of the empire and the loss of so much ancient knowledge that <clears throat> the, the remnants of that could be as simple as knowing that, for example, um sending the soul onto a journey into another into another plane is possible with the mirror but you might not have the tools intuitively to bring it back i, I kind of you know i i can see that and it also might kind of explain sort of that divergence continued divergence um between East and West because they did not have the same break in technology and law, you know, sort of setbacks in education and knowledge uh, that the West did and knowledge that quote was lost in the West still existed for the most part, you know, most of it that we know of, but existed in the east in the near east uh in, in parts of africa um so uh, but that break as you just described with rome and the consequences that 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 could explain a lot of that divergence and why perhaps so much fear along with it whereas other parts of the world that didn't go through that tumultuous decline and have more continuity seem to view these things in a more positive light that 
the the knowledge of the tool set, the knowledge that these sorts of things are possible existed, but the the precise means of doing it safely or effectively might have been lost in the process. Mm -hmm. And and you know, I mean, that that would be analogous to um, having a car to drive, but not knowing how. Basically, you've lost the key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or you've lost the memory of how to do it, but it still runs, which is actually terrifying. That's it's it's a central crisis in the making there. <laughs> As you drive over a cliff, uh, <laughs> and it's it is, uh, you know, I, I think again, I think that there is also an an innate dichotomy. I think that there's a a physical dichotomy in terms of knowledge retained and knowledge lost. And with that mm -hmm. comes familiarity or, uh, or fear. But I think that there is, a, there is a natural dichotomy that once you begin potentially interacting with these other realms, that some things are very positive and some things can, can smack back. And part of the ancient knowledge would uh, presumably have involved being able to tell the difference. But if we're, if we're bereft of that knowledge, then all of it could be potentially dangerous as an idea. That, that is true. Now here's, now here, now here's a, a crutch here. Um, tell me what you think. Um, for instance, in voodoo, Mirrors are often kept in the kitchen, which, you know, in the West, we tend not to do that, but they keep mirrors in the, in the kitchen so that ghosts can consume food that is reflected in the mirror. Yes. Yes. I, I think that's a beautiful them and, and, and appeasing them, I would assume. Um, yeah. So where, where do you think, like, that comes into play? Of course, you you have the um, coming together of European traditions and African traditions in that. So, where would you say that fits in with your missing knowledge or oh, well, I, I do think that it's it, it certainly hints at something very tantalizing, which is the possibility that the the West African, particularly the Benin religion or animism. Uh, culture, which is oftentimes regarded as sort of a mm, primitive or backwoods uh, belief structure, very far away from the the more quote unquote enlightened ancient religions. Uh, for example, Egypt or China uh, or the Indian subcontinent, so on and so forth. That it might not be. Uh, that 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 uh, you know our uh, tr our traditions that that uh, that are coming from West Africa may actually be vastly more sophisticated and uh, and deep into this sort of subconscious archetypal lore that that exists. I think that's really fascinating. I also think that it really speaks to the uh, the 
in many cases, the warmth and the bonds that are implied from not only uh, West African culture, but it, it reminds me of the similarities of Mayan culture and uh, Latin American um, pre-Catholic culture that is uh, reflected in um, Dia de los Muertos, the, the idea that the dead are simply our family members that we're still communing with, we're still talking to, in some cases we're still feeding, we're still making sure that they're okay. Um, and, and that begins a transition to me, a really beautiful transition. I, when I read that, I actually made me want to go find a mirror and then cook some food. And I, in the idea that from a, from a very um, beautiful and uh, I would say earthy uh, or connective or emotionally warm place, the idea that you're you're not appeasing the spirits as much as you're making sure that your family's fed. Yes, yes. And I do, I do really like that. Um, and to throw a monkey wrench into that or something, you know, <laughs> take, a, take a sharp left turn. Um, then there was the conception of the Aztecs that mirrors basically were a symbol of war. Right. And of duality. Of duality. But I don't think that's a monkey wrench. I think I, I think that one the, the commonality that we're seeing with with all of the lore is it is this and that. Uh, simultaneously. It's a Janus fairy. Uh, mm -hmm. it you know, and, and I was I was wanted to throw this in really quickly, and I think it, it does say in and we'll come back to the Aztecs and then John D. But the the idea that so you know I think I think I've done an effective job of of mounting the argument that that so much of this lore is not scary, it's not um, it's not spooky, it, that there does seem to be an ancient tradition that is associating the paranormal with the supernatural and with the idea of the mirror as a portal or a conduit of some sort involving energy uh these types of things that seems to resonate with our uh our our our, uh, our minds or our spirits even if it doesn't make sense to our rational mind all of these things and that uh the scary parts are just us interacting with our subconscious so on and so forth all that to be said there is one bit of lore which is the idea that a mirror uh beside your bed can steal your soul or that something can come through and for the record, I will not have a mirror in my bedroom. I will not have a mirror next to my bed. And if I am someplace that I that a mirror is in that situation, I'm going to cover it because I'm not dealing with that. And and we'll 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 tell the story behind that. <laughs> yes, personal experience. Uh, because there there are, and this is again, I think it speaks to the duality there. Um, there's the very beautiful aspects of this portal concept and there are very uh, comforting aspects to the supernatural, the paranormal concepts. There's very peaceful aspects to it. 
there are aspects that we simply need to understand our subconscious. There are also anytime that you are dealing with portals, uh, we are also dealing with the potential of things that may be predatory and or ominous that are outside of our subconscious. This is not just a reflection of our subconscious. There may be something else that is there. That's true. And that the question mark in all that, I think, is what is both tantalizing and often creates fear in people. It does. It does. And, and certainly uh, uh, a foundation to what is consistently one of the creepiest or the cheapest jump scares in a horror movie, which is something reflected behind you in the mirror. That's true. That's true. Um, and there are a few places that those kind of things actually do happen with mirrors and people see things. Um, and it does remind me, you saying that it reminds me again of the movie Prince of Darkness, where the mirror is the, is the main focal point of as a, a barrier and a doorway to the netherworld that the devil or demon is, is held from this world on the other side. And that, um, that barrier that we take for granted in a lot of ways that this world and that world are separate um, very much plays on that, including uh, to the point of, you know, of uh, shriveled clawed fingers coming through the surface of the mirror. Uh, and then ultimately, apparently being a means of uh, time travel. Yes. And jumping back really quickly to the, the Aztecs, the idea that the mirror was representative of both fire and water, which I mm -hmm. found. Again, we, we do keep coming back to this uh, symbol of duality. It comes back mm -hmm. to duality but duality that is you break it apart and put it back together it makes sense the mirror is reflective it's like reflective water uh the celts considered the mirror image of a pool of water uh, a bog a pond to be a liminal space and an opening into the underworld it appears that the the aztecs were perhaps channeling the same similarities of idea in this case, the mirror is, is representative of water as well as the elemental subconscious and magical properties of water. At the same time, a mirror can be used to focus sunlight to create fire, which is also associated with war. And, and a lot of their mirrors were made from obsidian, which is basically gla volcanic glass, which I'm sure they, they realized main association of the glass coming from the volcanoes and, and fire. So 
you, you you have this obsidian that is born of fire. Yes. Reflects fire, focuses light into fire, but shimmers like the surface of water. Yes, which is really, it is beautiful. I love this because it's really forcing, um, it's an unboxing. Um, it's forcing us to... <laughs> meme reference uh it is forcing the mind to get outside of a it's this or it's that right right and that sense of duality is probably a good segue into discussing john d <laughs> aside from I, the fact that he used <laughs> aztec mirror to strike he did, and John D is one of our our heroes. I think I think it's fair mm -hmm. to say. Yeah. Uh, he is his. Uh, he was born in 1527, and died in 1608 or nine. He actually died. We don't know when he died, and we don't know where he's buried. No, because he had a falling out with the king after he saved him. <laughs> yes. James had that habit. <laughs> I, I I get that. Oh, and, and, and John D, for people who are unfamiliar, was an English polymath. Uh, his, his, he was court astronomer and astrologer and advisor to Queen Elizabeth I. And his, his resume included, but was not limited to, mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, teacher, occultist, and alchemist. Yes. And and by he, some accounts, witch hunter. Yes, and by other accounts, a witch. Yes, so you know, again, you know, it kind of just depends on which side you're on. <laughs> it, How you view him? It really, really does. I I am fascinated by the fact that his grave site is unknown. It's Both very fitting for him in, in some ways dismayed and fascinated. Um, I was also very pleased in doing you know, some, some additional research uh, for the episode to realize that uh, the John Dee was of Welsh ancestry. Yes. Not, somehow not surprised about that and very excited as well for personal reasons. And John Dee is as, really, as far as I'm concerned, as close as you can get to the archetypal magician wizard in our, our current historical narrative. I, I think I think that is very fair to say. Um, and it, it in some ways it's it's perplexing that he's not as well known as some others, such as Nostradamus, who we will mention in a moment as well. Um, yeah. But he I mean, um, he uh, served uh, Elizabeth I um, using his occultist powers uh, very successfully, um, then went on his basically sabbatical and um, to consternation of Elizabeth, as well as other uh, 
regions in Europe who either uh, viewed him with open arms or suspiciously as a spy, um, then came back um, a bit of a rocky relationship with Elizabeth after that, but did serve James. And if stories are to be uh, believed that through use of his obsidian mirror was able to uh, reveal the gunpowder plot. Interesting. And this, this obsidian mirror is believed and pretty securely believed to have been of Aztec origin. Yes, they, they've determined that through a, a scientific uh, examination that the obsidian came from a particular volcano that I think is about 30 or 35 miles from Mexico City. Yes. So... Um, it made its way back with the Spanish and he procured it. And I think it sits in what, what, one of a museum in London, I believe, doesn't it? Quite possibly. I'm not 100% sure, but it is on, I believe it is on display. And I'm just curious as to what John D. did to procure it. I think that could be a story in and of itself. I've, I've read a couple of articles previously that basically the, there's some conjecture that he somehow procured it through a particular conquistador, but they really don't know. They, mm -hmm. You know, they're really kind of perplexed how he ended up in England, but, um, <laughs> but that, um, you know, that his divination using it as screen would be was very successful and accurate um, as those things went. So, so coming into that and just digging into scrying as a as a um, subject because the mirrors the, there's a number of things that are used for scrying, but mirrors are certainly a dominant tool. Mm -hmm. And the question is how how does someone scry? Well, um, to be, in some ways you, you can sort of equate it to the discussion earlier with yoga and, you know, you know, confronting uh, the unknown, the unknown versus the unconscious in yoga, um, that things are revealed and, you know, from a purely objective scientific basis, you would say it's paradelia, it's um, just manifestations of the subconscious, um, et cetera, that you're seeing, you know, either tricks of light in the mirror or uh, say Nostradamus with all of his predictions, he used a bowl a dark bowl, and I can't remember, I think it was metal, but I, I may be wrong, with water. And he would see images in the water. Um, and this is very much the same idea as, as uh, crystal balls, uh, as people, uh, you know, have seen them used by, you know, fortune tellers, etc. cetera. Um, it's the same concept. 
And I think it's it's one one of the things that I, I'm a little sad that we we essentially lost beginning with James the first and then continued to lose as we we uh, moved into the Cromwell era. Uh, that, <laughs> oh, Oliver. <laughs> I know. Oh, no more Christmas. Uh, is that that prior to James the first, we certainly, I think it's it would be reasonable to say that Elizabeth was really at the pinnacle of this brave new world in which these types of art, and I would classify it as an art more mm -hmm. than a science, but that these types of art were, were recognized, were um, uh, held in comparatively high esteem. It was not, um, you know, something that was was looked askance at. Obviously, uh, if memory serves, John D was uh, utilized astrology to choose Elizabeth's um, coronation date for her on, for an auspicious day. Yes. And and we see how well that worked out. Uh, one of the most successful monarchs in, in all of English history. And at the same time, this is uh, Queen Elizabeth was not someone that we uh, think of as uh, flighty or superstitious or, or capricious in a you know off on flights of fancy and following uh, crazy ideas. Uh, here was here was a woman who was extremely grounded in her leadership. She was grounded in the in the the military and the economic needs of her burgeoning empire, and at, at the same time, very comfortable with a favorite court astrologer, and with James, beginning with James, and then continuing on into the Civil War slash Puritan Wars, uh, etc we just began this monumental shift away from that mindset that mm -hmm. it could be both. You could be a perfectly um, grounded, rational leader who also, uh, without contradiction, embraces these arts that mm -hmm less sense to someone who was not skilled in them. Very true. I, I think that you know, it's a matter that my guess is just she she viewed it as one more set of tools. Mm -hmm. and, and one that seems as with, you know, some of these um, situations, some of the, um, my, my understanding is that she would uh, consult John D in terms of potential assassination attempts on her, of which there were many. Yes. Et cetera. And uh, presumably she was doing so because he had a good track record. I would assume, and, and um, I mean, obviously she had a very long um, reign that did was not ended by violence. So, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, astutely she was looking at probably 
the advice from on all fronts and then trying and then making that decision of what made sense um, based on all the information. And again, John D um, is a little more complicated than being an astrologer. He, um, he was so gifted and skilled in so many areas that um, I think I would assume that he came at things with all of those disciplines at once, which most people don't do, granted, um, that probably ended up with a, a more balanced sense than um, we would normally give credit to when we hear the word astrology. I think that is extremely fair and something that is to me really fascinating about the aspect of the really the fusion between science and art and we typically in our in our very modern world or postmodern world now we separate those two into very far apart boxes and it's fair. Our, our, our cultural mind and i think that that does a disservice to both you you look at the mm, alchemical roots of uh, uh of individuals like like uh, Isaac Newton, uh, you look at the uh, the scientific roots of individuals like John Dee, and you see that there there is a fusion uh, that as we're coming into the uh, early modern era in England, and as England is becoming is becoming the British Empire, which is apparently or allegedly a, a term coined by John Dee, the British Empire is a, a, a beautiful fusion of science, rationality, and the esoteric arts that we don't really hold particular space for at, at this time. No, and, and really, when, when you think about it, I mean, to be perfectly honest, in a lot of ways, there's not a lot of difference between John D and Isaac Newton as far as their interests and the things that they researched, um, very similar. Um, the, the most noble difference is that, you know, is that Dee ended up holding the position of court astrologer, whereas Newton was at university, but they both were pursuing you know, alchemy and, and, and these esoteric um, arts, as well as science. They were, which is, which is something that uh, in the, the cursory reviews and our cursory understanding, sort of our grade school understanding of, of Sir Isaac Newton, is usually left out of the, of the process. We've got, um, you know, Isaac inventing calculus and having a, um, a figurative or perhaps literal apple drop on his head to give <laughs> us the law of gravity. And that's usually about as far as it goes. So right. digging through these, these esoteric arts is, I, I think on, a, on, a, on an initial 
review can be very unsettling for individuals who aren't prepared for their uh, hyper-rational scientific heroes to be meddling around in this kind of stuff, but it wasn't by accident. Very true, very true. Um, I wanna switch gears a little bit and kind of do compare and contrast with D with Nostradamus. Um, is fascinating. Um, and, and Nostradamus is a, is a household name, but most people don't know a lot about what it was he was actually doing. True. And, and again, he, he in, in a lot of ways, he fits into the same box with Newton and Dee. He was a physician. So, you know, he, he was a, a man of medicine uh, at the time, uh, as medicine was at the time. He actually treated plague victims, um, but he would um, um, use the um, divining arts um, through mirrors and, and, and water. Um, and he hid this pretty much because it could get you killed. Um, but he did, similar to D, he did end up in the favor of the queen um, because he, his reputation did get around, even though he was trying not to get a foul with, with the law and the, and the crown. And um, he made a prediction of how or what could be interpreted as a prediction of how the king would die. And King Henry died jousting with a splinter through the eye. And, um, and of course, anyone familiar with um, the quatrains of Nostradamus, they, they are poetic, vague in a lot of ways and, and certainly open to interpretation. But that one is interesting because while a lot of them people say he predicted this 400 years in the future, 500 years, you know, um, this was something that happened in his lifetime and it, it certainly caught the attention of the queen. Um, and then it tended to bear itself out. Um, but he was still very careful to not portray himself as actually predicting the future because he didn't want to run a foul of the church, etc. either. Um, and, and that's why we do have his, his writings that are so vague. And now people say, oh, he predicted 9-11. He predicted this. He predicted that. Which mm. you read them and it's like, it could be this or it could be that. You know, it, you know it could describe a lot of things that have happened, but um, but in essence, you know, he had a very similar, if not personality, um, career path as D. 
but um, I think the reason that he is so well known now is just because he wrote down the quatrains. I think that's very fair. And it, you know, my, my general understanding is what probably mid eighties, late eighties, there started to be um, sort of semi-historical documentaries with, uh, with a bit of a lean toward the uh, uh, gratuitous in yeah. terms of, of uh, you know, exciting the imagination uh, about, about Nostradamus, about his predictions, about the fact that here's a, um, a character, a, a personality from the Renaissance who has these, has these predictions that are speaking to us about something today. And yeah. the almost salacious nature of... Um, Voy- magical voyeurism in that that sense that it's you know getting you to watch the Mountain Dew commercial to get to the the next part where Nostradamus is going to reveal your future as well. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and, I, and I think that I think that is the the romanticism of it is that um, if if he was accurate even with a just a percentage of his quatrains then it might be possible that we all might divine our future if we are so (laughs) and that's both exciting and frightening i think because and again coming back to the mirrors um and then the association with scrying we're we're looking at mirrors utilized for divining the future to looking into the future Mm -hmm. and saying what's going to happen and that is is something that is extraordinarily enticing, uh, equal parts frightening. It is. I'm I'm curious your thought on this. How would you view view screen as w- with mirrors and or mirror lights surfaces all included uh, versus other divination that is still done, say tea leaves and things like that, chicken bones, things like that. It is interesting. And it, I don't have a good answer in, in that regard. The, the commonality that is, is I think both wise and confounding simultaneously is that if you, if you yourself happen to be unfamiliar with the practice, and most of us are unfamiliar with the practice, we could have two people in front of us using any of the potential methods. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, scrying mirror, crystal ball. Uh, etc that we, we are, are the chicken bones, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. And one person could be doing it correctly and another person could just be making stuff up. And we on the outside wouldn't necessarily be able to tell the difference. I mean, that, that's, that's true. Um, 
I, I wonder if there's something more you um, unique with a mirrored surface that that interacts with our subconscious. That I think is fair. Uh, I, I think again, it is associated with that sense of portal, that sense of of a window into another world, and there are aspects of mirror work that are hard to duplicate in in other forms of divination. Uh, you know your 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 tea leaves, uh, your chicken bones, your your a wide variety of divination tools. Um, it, it's not a reflective or immersive portal. That's true. I mean, the sense of the sense of three dimension, I think, has has an effect on on the brain and perhaps intuitive powers. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And it, it's there's 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 the aspects of potential connection with the subconscious, which is extraordinary. But then there is that next step, which is you may become connecting with something that's no longer internal. That's true. And I mean, as soon as you made the leap that you are interacting with even the fates to see the, the future, um, you, you open that possibility that it's something else that you have no control over and may have its own, its own intelligence and free will. It, it reminds me of the, the moment with the Palantir in, uh, in Fellowship of the Ring. They're yeah. not all accounted for. We don't know who may be watching. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's certainly a practice that has made its way into the, the modern um, New Age um, and Wiccan communities. Yes, it, it absolutely has um, for, you know, with, with a variety of reactions and responses. I, I think that there is something innately engaging. There's something archetypal about the work right. that, that we, we recognize it. And we don't just recognize, it doesn't just resonate um, because we watched Wizard of Oz, it, 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 but I think that when you know the early audiences, the original audiences watched Wizard of Oz, that the those moments resonated on an archetypal level as well. The the idea that there's there are powers, there are um, esoteric arts, there are ways of doing things or affecting the world around us or seeing things that could not otherwise be seen. And that this is part of the human story, albeit one that has largely been lost in modernity. And so we resort to, uh, to fiction and dramatization and novelization to explore these things because we, it's very difficult to explore these things in, uh, um, in a, a more traditional uh, or educational realms. True. That said, many of the New Age and Wiccan practices involving these things 
are for better or for worse detached from the actual lineage of ancient knowledge despite what most of you know could, what might be said uh and that in in both cases much though not all of uh, of, of wicca is very modern uh, mm -hmm. was developed in the 20th century and is certainly a a read on uh in many cases, Celtic paganism, um, as well as other typically European, although not limited to European, um, in some cases, pre-Christian practices, or in other cases, um, folk magic lore that was in opposition with the authoritarian aspects of the more overarching church. So there is there is an element of reactionary reactionism in in result in as a result of that. There's there is also the aspect that it's um, it has to be recognized as a more as a newer religion than it appears or it feels like just based on its historical reality. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. Before I forget, I was going to mention and see your thoughts. Um, the significance of the of the um, convent smear. Mm. <laughs> Besides, um, conveniently uh, spotting that uh, that eighteen wheeler creeping up on my uh, <laughs> yeah uh, uh, on my left bumper. Um, I <laughs> I do find, I, I do find it interesting that, that that they're associated with with demons and driving. And well, that's fair. Uh, that very very fair. Uh, driving the, around town today—that's for sure. No, no, I largely uh, right there with you. Uh, I think it's I think it's interesting uh, to say the least. I am personally fascinated. the The thing that really stood out to me about many of these aspects with mirrors, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna resort to a dichotomy. On one hand, something that we see is a a mystical obsession with mirrors in an era when mirrors were not common. Mm -hmm. And I think that's has to be taken into account at a, at a time when uh, certainly in the, we'll just take the Renaissance period at, at a point when the technology had developed in, in order that a very effective mirrors uh could be created um mm -hmm. mirrors that were concave mirrors that were convex mirrors that were flat uh could be created and were almost de facto put into use in varying ways associated with the esoteric arts associated with conjuring associated with divination associated with reaching into portals of other realms comes into play and certainly the everyday people uh, who 
were far removed from this technology couldn't help but look at this stuff in uh, very differently than we would look at it today. True. Um, and so it is automatically easy to simply relegate the, the esoteric art aspect or the, the magical quality to primitive superstitious people, um, so on and so forth. I also think that that would be a mistake because we seem to consistently see odd and interesting things uh, archetypally and then also in actuality happening around these mirrors um, through the ages. So I think, again, the answer is both, but as to the uh, <laughs> demons with concave or convex mirrors, I'm, I'm a bit of a loss, but I do like to have one on my uh, my side panel on the truck. I'm right there with you on that one. <laughs> now, what you just said pretty well kind of leads into, we kind of have to talk about Bloody Mary a little bit. <laughs> I, I love Bloody Mary. Um, she's spooky. <laughs> and the antecedents to the Bloody Mary game actually go back a very long ways. They do. So, you know, the, the, the current iteration of Bloody Mary almost exists really just an urban legend as uh, um, teenagers trying to spook each other out on sleepovers. Right. That's, that's really the, um, the construct that we have for Bloody Mary. And the, the bits and pieces of the lore tend to vary but for people who are not familiar, basically you say Bloody Mary three times while looking into a mirror and she appears over your shoulder, but only in the mirror. Mm -hmm. and, and then and she answers her questions. Yeah, so basically it's a, it's a, it's a bit like summoning a genie um, with a, a mirror and albeit mm, unhappy dead spirit slash demonic slash poltergeist aspect that you're you're conjuring and then you're um harnessing what you've conjured which tends to not engender affection from no it's it's the idea that uh and certainly there, there is a an unspoken implication in the story which is if you if you if you're in theory that there was someone long ago who was very good at conjuring and harnessing and so that if you were skilled in the arts you could do this sort of thing safely but chances are if you're a you know 14 year old kid in your suburban parent's bathroom, the likelihood that you have the uh, requisite skill is unlikely. So you're taking a grave risk. And said 14 year old girls, the, these iterations of what became Bloody Mary go back hundreds of years and tend to revolve around young girls 
trying to figure out who they're going to marry. Yes, which is a is a consistent theme in divination. It is, it is, and uh, it is also what they believe started the Salem witch trials, basically. Um, yeah. <laughs> screwing into a bowl of water with broken eggs, um, which really is the surface of the water is again using a mirror. Yeah, it is. So, and, you know, if <laughs> I just realized if, uh, um, if they did it wrong back in Salem, they might have accidentally conjured Bloody Mary and she just, uh, you know, wreaked havoc have, and initiated the witch trials. <laughs> That's not an official theory. No, it is not. I am the <laughs> very confused. Very, very confused. But certainly, could certainly be a discautionary tale about, about uh, doing this. <laughs> Well, it, it, it also speaks to the fact that in order to be a, in order to be a, a witch hunter, you have to be a pretty good witch yourself. Although they would never admit it. No, absolutely not. I mean, here in the Ozarks, it's called being a power doctor. That's right. Because you don't even uh, use the term witch. And that being said, um, one another another use of the mirrors is that um, uh, part of the lore is that a mirror will turn dark in the presence of an evil witch or an evil spirit. Mm -hmm. That is so. It's uh, it's like a compass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so again, duality either. The, the mirror's going to go dark and you don't see anything <laughs> or you see the evil spirit through the mirror and you have to through worry about it escaping. So, one or the other <laughs> it could be either so uh, obviously the there's the scrying aspect and the the long-standing um divination for one's future partner Mm -hmm. uh, but we, you know, and we, we, that is, that is typically the, the impetus behind a dumb supper. That is the, the impetus for, uh, apple divination, Halloween, and the use of apples in, in, uh, Halloween ceremony and traditions like bobbing for apples. Now coming back to Bloody Mary, uh, I largely know Bloody Mary as simply the urban legend and also from one episode on Supernatural, which I really like. Um, but the the idea of a hmm, ghost, um, tormented soul existing within the mirror, waiting unhappily to answer your questions, don't let her off the leash. Um, this is getting to some pretty dark territory. Well, I mean, you're you're one step away from Beetlejuice, you know. Don't say as many times, uh, yeah. and you don't have to use a mirror either. Right. <laughs> Which I'm sure, you know, I, I, you know, my my guess is that Bloody Mary is the sort of the inspiration for that. 
Mm-hmm. That's fair. <laughs> it's to me, it is it is fascinating, and it's you know it it goes into a mm, uh, a pretty large pantheon of. Mm, omens, spirits, dangerous fae that are traditionally female. Yeah, true. Although there are the, the fair share that are male as well. But <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, is there is there a lot of tradition of, of adolescent boys doing Bloody Mary or is it mostly girls? Mostly girls, I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I, I've never done it, but that just seemed like a bad idea. I just always thought it was stupid myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being uh, candid. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. I was, um, just in terms of the, mm, you know, reaching into the the other realm and I was, I was contemplating uh, the Banshee um, and, uh, and, and also the Fates, uh, yeah. the, the, the traditional, both the Greek and the Norse uh, traditions of the Fates that uh, they're, you know, reminders to me of, of these things. Yeah. And the Kalach, uh, the winter, um, the Scottish Kalach that... Uh, uh, all of these things just remind me a little bit of tying in, you know, divination, um, death, um, omen, and uh, even though we're dealing we're dealing with mirror spirits, uh, the there is an aspect of it that reminds me of the fae, and the idea that you're 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 interacting with the other, you're interacting with the other world, and it could really go badly. Yes, it, it really could. Um, and then um, as, as a bit of a uh, curveball, and I threw in, discussed her before we started all this, while we were researching, the idea of natural holograms. <laughs> that one is very odd. Um, but really what fascinated me about this concept, and basically it's uh, developing theory in media theory in psychology that um, basically is giving more quote a modern um, language to the idea of thought form really mm -hmm. so essentially a tulpa Yes, um, but it goes a step further that there's manifestations that are reflections of the living world, not necessarily the dead, but uh, and not even necessarily of li living beings like doppelgangers, but that our interaction with reality creates a two-dimensional 
or actually a three-dimensional image out of our subconscious. Well, and, so the apparitions or whatever we're seeing could actually be from our own subconscious, a little bit of what you were discussing with yoga. Um, and mm -hmm. so it, it's a, a little bit of a twist and the idea that what we think of holograms and like, you know, the, the image of Princess Leia and Star Wars as a hologram yeah. or the one in the new Blade Runner movie. Um, it's all done with focused light and so forth. But theoretically, they're experimenting with the idea that this could happen and it's seen, but without a focus of light, which to me is no different than when people see an apparition. I think that's very true. And it's, <laughs> uh, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Exactly. Uh, for the record, I can do that entire spiel. Um, I have uh, no doubt. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, but I won't. But in case anybody, you know, challenges me on it, I can, I can, I can respond. But what we're, what we're essentially talking about is a is 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 an organic projection or a naturally yes. occurring projection, which to me is a fascinating concept. I think certainly in terms of my study, I haven't necessarily encountered a, a physical or a visual projection, but I, I think that a number of what, what we classify as poltergeist activities um, are projections from mm -hmm. an intense energetic projection from the subconscious. And this, to me, this gets into, really, first of all, really interesting territory, but also troubling territory. Not troubling to me, because uh, I deal with duality and weird contradictory dichotomy part <laughs> of for fun. Um, but for, for individuals who are really locked into a particular um, theory or opinion mm -hmm. based on paranormal activity, this could be presented as a as a way of explaining away all sentient paranormal activity right and and, and i'm not suggesting that uh, no. by any means but i think that and I, I think the interesting aspect of this for this conversation is that the basically the barrier between our mind and the outside world works exactly the same way as the surface of the mirror. Yes. And I think that is a fascinating perspective that is, is well worth consideration. I think it's well worth consideration in the, the, the realm of investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do too. It's it's one of those areas again, uh, you know, embracing the messiness of the duality that you take this into consideration, and then also these other um, 
um, aspects of, of paranormal as well. So it could be this, it could be that, it could be something else entirely. It's, or both. Or, or both. Um, and I, I think that is really fascinating because it really begins a, an internal and a mental dimensional shift in the way of analysis. I think so. It, 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 at least it's food for thought. I, like it. I think maybe now we shift to mirrors that are in the Ozarks. Oh, which one would you like to start with? I don't know. Do you want to start with your, your own experience or save yeah. that for last? <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll, start, we'll start with the Lynn Mansion. We had the, the opportunity to um, visit uh, the, the Lynn Mansion very uh, informally. Uh, not as an investigator, just, just we just walked in, and uh, the the Lynn Mansion is in the the is in St. Louis. It uh, was constructed in uh, 1890 uh, by the Lynn family, the Lynn Brewery, uh, which mm -hmm. produced all beer. And prior to Prohibition, it was busy building St. Louis for decades. Well, and actually was the biggest brewer, uh, some people said the biggest brewer, brewery in the country, uh, certainly in St. Louis, um, Sir, Sir Anheuser-Busch, but they were Johnny-come-lately um, in, in the game, um, and um, a lot of their success owed to the downfall of the limps. Yes, yes, and the, the limp family was clearly plagued by deep tragedy yes and uh the house is open to the public both as a uh, uh the boutique hotel and also as a as a high-end restaurant and as well as a as an event venue and they also host investigations there so it's mm -hmm. increasingly well known uh for its paranormal activity I yes it has gained quite a reputation the last few years and I, I would, uh, based on my limited time at the mansion, um, would sign off on that. <laughs> it was uh, it was very interesting, and uh, had the chance to go in there and uh, and uh, look around, and uh, go up to the second floor, and uh, the the second floor is the, of course the the main floor for the bedrooms. And uh, the bedrooms were where many of the deaths took place. There's a very, at the time, the mid-morning, uh, very odd, intense push-pull uh, energy and a heaviness, a strong heaviness. And it was also notable there were a number of mirrors, uh, some of them very oddly shaped. One particularly long rectangular mirror that uh, was in the uh, second floor land, on the wall in the second floor landing. Some equally interesting family portraits on the wall that also could be described as a bit unsettling. Um, but overall, my, my, my two impressions for the space was simply being impressed by its extraordinary beauty and also a sense of, especially on the second floor, 
feeling as though I was intruding. That. I mean, especially considering the everything that happened in, in, in the house, including a number of suicides. I, I can understand that. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a space that I was really excited about being in just because of its historicity and for its beauty. At the same time, I kind of wanted to not be in the space uh, in, a, in a fairly short amount of time. And then it was odd because the, the sense of unsettling, the, the unsettling sense tended to follow through the day. Uh, even you know, after you left. Even after I left, yes. And then, and this is the, this is, we get to the mirror part because uh, two o'clock the next morning, I did think it was interesting. It was in the two o'clock hour because uh, I don't really believe in the witching hour, but I did note the time that uh, staying in an Airbnb in St. Louis, um, not within close proximity to the Lynn mansion, but still within St. Louis. So you're you're in the same town um and uh, my dog um suddenly became incredibly agitated took between 2 and 2 30 in the morning uh, barking at the mirror which was interestingly enough placed right next to the bed um became extremely agitated was um, was whining was barking uh woke me up was bouncing around on the bed. He'd look at the mirror and then react as though he was seeing something um, and was doing it very consistently. It was specifically focused on this mirror. There was another mirror in the room uh, that was on a door, but this large standalone um, sort of person-sized height mirror next to the bed was the one that he was freaking out about. And this was the third, third or fourth night that he'd been there, had been sleeping on the bed, had been in the bedroom at night, um, and uh, had never acted like this prior. And uh, very unsettling. And I'm lying there half awake, half asleep, going, what are you doing? And then I start thinking about two things. One, uh, how Sky, my puppy, um, act in regards to supernatural entities and or paranormal entities and to the mirrors at the Lint Mansion and that weird sense of uh, antagonism but allure that was existing mm -hmm. on the second floor. And I thought about that for a little bit. And then I jumped out of bed and grabbed a, uh, a quilt and threw it over the mirror. <laughs> Well, who knows? He might have kept you from losing your soul. He might have, and that would have I been sad. You have. <laughs> I, I, um, I rather, I, I, I seem to be rather attached to my soul. I'm, I'm glad I still have it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting. I mean, it's definitely interesting, and you know, unsettling because there doesn't seem to be a, a good. Alter, alternate explanation for, no, for I, doing that you know the, the the way i'm the way i'm approaching it at this point is it is 
simply documented as a thing that occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, on one hand, I'm I am hesitant to attach too much one way or the other, but I can tell you at two thirty in the morning, um, with Sky barking at the mirror, uh, highly uncharacteristically, and after the after having been in the mansion earlier. Uh, my mind did put a lot of things together, perhaps accurately, perhaps inaccurately. And I I don't get creeped out too much. I did find that unsettling. I, I probably would too, you know, in that, in those circumstances. And you left it covered. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I was there for another two days and I, I, for the record, I was not about to take that blanket off. Uh, <laughs> that was, I, again, I just, I was, <laughs> it felt like Gandalf and, uh, with the Palantir. Um, you just don't know who might be watching. And it was very unsettling. Did not like that. And so uh, Saturday morning, I think it was, um, packed everything up, got ready to go and very expressly packed everything else to the truck. Um, did my, my last checks, my last look under the bed, my last look in the closet for anything that might've rolled under there or I might've forgotten, so on and so forth. Checked the kitchen. It was a lovely Airbnb for the record uh, near uh, Old Route 66 and uh, Ted Drew's frozen custard. Um, but it was... Um, made sure that everything else was taken care of, ready to lock everything up, check the doors, et cetera, had everything in the truck, took Sky out, put him in the truck, walked back in, pulled the blanket off, immediately turned around and walked out of the room. <laughs> we, are, we are not spending time in front of this. Whatever y'all are doing, you're gonna do it without me in the room. Well, if nothing else, um, you empathize with people who've had experiences with mirrors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's very important. I think that this is, um, again, and it, this, this goes across the board with anyone who's had paranormal experiences. Um, one's personal experience is one's personal experience. And that may be very unsettling. It, you know, as, as we discussed earlier, it, yes, in some cases you could be encountering your subconscious and that's a, that's a reality that, that takes some time to work through, but in other cases you're not. And you and I both had experiences that were, were very clearly outside of ourselves. True. And, and, and that happens. And, and your story actually makes me think of experience I've had not quite as dramatic but um, at a historic home in the Joplin area that we used to do investigations at uh, it's uh, not open for investigations at this point uh, because it's being used as a private home again uh, the John Weiss house uh, beautiful Victorian and um, the Weiss family uh, were sort of rads to riches situation and, and made a lot of money in the mining in the area and um, 
beautiful, beautiful parlor that um, is probably the size of the of my front parlor, living room, and dining room together at least or more. Wow. And um, a beautiful antique um, mirror that contemporaneous to the house being built was built in about 1890 um mm. that is about 10 feet tall maybe even 12 feet tall and probably six feet wide a very heavy uh wooden frame and there were, we, we would have people who going through the room or so forth would say that they saw a, a girl dancing in the mirror and would turn and, you know, of course no one's there. And I never saw the girl, but I have been in front of it and seen movement that uh, seemed to be contained in the mirror um mm. really explain that one um and i always had the feeling when in that room i did not want my back to that mirror mm -hmm. um and i can't really explain the reason for it because i absolutely love the mirror it's absolutely gorgeous um but i was fine as long as i as long as my back wasn't to it mm. So what do you what do you make of that just anecdotally of that phenomena or experientially? Um, I do think there is some sort of energy around the mirror. Um, and you know, I guess another aspect of this is that particularly um, a silvered mirror, and this is a very large one with glass uh, affects current. Um, if it's silvered, current won't pass through it. Um, I don't know if it could be some sort of electrical phenomena around it that seems to um, make it a focal point. Um, but I do, there were two different times over the years that I saw move, movement in the mirror that there was no, there was no, no one else around and it wasn't me moving. Um, first time I just chalked it up to trick of the eye. Uh, second time it was like, wait a minute, I've seen that before. Mm -hmm. But it, it wasn't formed to where I could say it looked like a person moving or anything. It was the sense of moving. Um, the house also um, was known to people see movement in other areas in the house as well, catch a lot of movement. And um, Shadow Man, a hat man actually was caught on video um, in the house, actually moving through um, down a hallway and, and, and through the room that, the mirrors in but on the when it was caught it was on the opposite side of the room but i don't know 
Wow. It's neat to contemplate. It is also, there is, as, as there have been with so many of the things we've talked about uh, tonight, uh, an aspect that is unsettling. Yes, and and I'm not particularly superstitious about mirrors, even yeah. with any of the floor or anything. But that is the that is the one mirror that, at times, I was unsettled by, even though I absolutely love it because it's gorgeous. But <laughs> I can't explain that one. Um, then, of course, there there's there's the 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 well before we get to sort of the more. The more famous buildings. One other I want to discuss is actually a, a location that we do investigations at and events at, yes. the George Hall House. And for full disclosure, this did not happen while I was there or anything, but the owner told me about it um, and happened a few months ago. She and some friends were there and a couple of her friends decided to do an EVP session. And as you know, it is full of antiques. Um, and the owner's done a wonderful job curating. Yes. Things. And yes. she's got a mirror in the parlor that, and in fact, she said, I don't know anything about it. She, she bought it at an antique store. So she has no idea. Because I'm not even sure that it's really that old. It's my guess. It's probably from the 40s or 50s. So it's not like it's you know 150 years old kind of thing. But she said they were sitting there, and while they're doing this, she was kind of almost spacing off, getting bored, <laughs> and she's watching. She she's seeing opposite the mirror, and she notices that the mirror started turning black. Very and odd. Stop reflecting, and she took pictures and sent them to me. And you see the progression. And then, and she, and then uh, she sends me one. And she's like an hour later, you know, after they're gone, everything. She goes back in and and sits in the same position, and it's reflecting fine. Um, and um, it, it, not even that it was discolored or uh, anything that the entire surface looked tarnished black. And there is lore associated with that. There, there is. It's, uh, the lore tends to say that that would indicate the presence of either an evil witch or a malevolent spirit or something. Um, which, you know, certainly have not encountered there. Um, but certainly can't explain it either. I mean, certainly some things happen there that are hard to explain, including a vacuum cleaner running that's not plugged in. Yes. Like that's <laughs> not <is> on video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very unsettling. I mean, the, the house is haunted. That's yes. And uh, certainly some of our experiences. I know we went in UI and Noah. Uh, mm -hmm. we, you know, we went, went in and, uh, um, pushed back on Noah pretty hard. Yeah, and, uh, it, it did. 
that was and it and you know um noah's noah's one of those uh blessed or unfortunate souls that uh, highly active locations tend to push back on him pretty hard at the moment mm -hmm. um, I mean, that but, may change over time too yeah but that's not uncommon with adolescents no it, it's not um it, it does tend to happen more to adolescents so um, yeah, definitely there's activity there and some that makes sense and some that's a little harder to explain, like the vacuum cleaner in the mirror. I can't really explain either one of those rationally, so. And I, I just realized, yeah, that uh, those are those are interesting combinations, of course, and, and Noah having an interesting experience at the ball house, which was not dissimilar to his experience at the Kendrick house. That's true. That's true. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Basically a splitting headache that would end the second he stepped out of the building. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in, in candidness, I, I tend to at times um, have a, a physical reaction in a location that uh, seems to correlate with how someone passed, you know. Um, yes you know, uh, the sense of not being able to breathe with someone that had a breathing problem or, a, you know, pain in an area correlating to an injury, et cetera. So um, physical reactions are, uh, do happen. They do, and they do. And that's, and that's uh, uh, occupational hazard of our work. It is, it is. Now then, we, um, you know, of course, there, there's a lot of buzz with the Crescent Hotel being, you know, as one of the most haunted places in America. It certainly has, it has benefited um, from paranormal television and documentaries over the last 20 years with its mm -hmm. reputation. But it does, and, and founded, um, well founded. But it, yeah. it has its own mirror story. And that one I'm less familiar with. I'm, I'm familiar with a number of the hauntings. Yeah. With the, the Cartmans. Yeah. I, I, and I mean, I've not experienced it or anything, but I, you know, the, the story goes is that uh, the image uh, of, a, of a woman is seen in the lobby mirror. Interesting. I, I, I am still fascinated by the bat owl. I was too busy looking at the bat owls uh, <laughs> to pay attention to the mirror in the lobby. But, yeah. but I, I love the Crescent Hotel. It was built in 1886. Um, had a very, had had an extremely varied history. Um, certainly as a, as a Victorian and Edwardian era hotel, as a girl's school uh as a uh pseudo hospital for cancer patients to go to die um typically locked away in the uh, servants quarters screaming in agony uh, for a short period of time in the late 1930s early 1940s before the owner was uh, carted off to the penitentiary for mail fraud because they couldn't get him anything else uh, 
it's uh it's it is a fascinating place one of the most malevolent experiences that i ever had was at the crescent hotel and it was because it was me and it freaked me out for about a year and a half and then since then i've been back more than a dozen times trying to replicate it to see what would happen and it's been very peaceful since then but um and in part you weren't you weren't expecting it and as i recall you weren't very familiar with the haunted lore of the building at that time not at all i was well i had no no knowledge of uh the, the haunted aspects and this was um 2008 so it was and, and i wasn't paying any attention to ghost shows so no i had no clue uh, but i do know that somebody was standing directly over my left shoulder on the sky bar balcony and that person was not happy with my presence that it happens it happens sometimes <laughs> most of the time ghosts seem to like me okay or are just um extraordinarily ambivalent to my presence which i'm fine with and, <laughs> and, and but in in the same sense uh coming back to the the reference to horses if i'm standing in a in a barn full of four horses and i'm standing in a corral full of horses i i want them to be ambiguous to my presence you know and and i i i approach i approach most things of the paranormal and the normal that way so yes and uh <laughs> i and who knows there there's a wide variety of reasons that whomever or whatever it was on the balcony hated my guts but something about me you didn't like but you didn't see anything in the mirror did not see anything in the mirror did not see anything over my left shoulder and trust me i would um but whatever was there was so absolutely terrifying that i was scared to get into the elevator and instead ran down the stairs you mean you ran I hurried. Okay. Promptly. You power, you power walked. <laughs> I power walked down the stairs. Um, and my heart rate was very elevated before I even got to the stairs part. That's fair. Um, whatever, whatever it was, um, I, I am confident in saying it was not my subconscious. Um, and I'm, I'm also confident in saying that it initiated a fight or flight response. And, the, and that that does happen occasionally, not often. I mean, or at least no. not often for me. Um, but but um, it, it can happen. And then another happen. another example of haunted or magical mirror in in the Ozarks is at one of our favorite locations, the Coleman Theater in Miami, Oklahoma. Yes, uh, Coleman Theater, absolutely gorgeous location. Highly recommend you check it out. It's it's a Route 66 stop, and uh, built 1929, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, fascinating, oh, uh, fascinating structure. Lots of history of the location before 1929 as well. Some of the are associated with that. I'm still taken by the. Uh, Spanish colonial revival exterior and the 
um, Versailles-inspired interior. Thank you, Mr. Coleman. Yes. Um, yes, George Coleman made a statement and, and, and uh, did so exceedingly well. Yes, he did. Um, I, I will recall the first time that um, our producer Alex was in there. He he actually stopped and, and said, I, I've never been in a building like this since I was at Versailles. And I said, well, that, that's not a coincidence. It's <laughs> <laughs> extraordinary. And and if if memory serves, the the mirror lore that's associated with the Coleman is in the green room. Yes, in, in the green room. Um, yeah. If you recall, when, when you're in the green room, um, the area that is closest to what, what used to be the orchestra pit, if you're standing there and facing the opposite wall, there's a gold gilt framed mirror on the wall. And uh, very, very nice mirror, very attractive. Um, not huge, I'd say maybe three feet by two, roughly, maybe slightly larger. Um, and a number of people over the years, I've not had any, I've not had any experience with the mirror, but a number of people over the years have had the experience of looking into the mirror and seeing the reflection of a ballerina. Yes, yes. And then turn around and no one's there. Right, which is, it's very interesting. I, th there's a lot of, uh, of activity that is associated with the green room and it's, it is in the basement underneath the stage. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have every reason to be unsettled or a little creeped out by the space for the record. And I, granted, I've been there with, you know, in groups, I haven't been down there by myself to just hang out. Mm -hmm. uh, it for me personally, it has not been unsettling. It it really hasn't. There's been, I think, one time over the years that I've been in there that it kind of had a heavy feeling, uh, but mm -hmm. nothing extraordinary um, for my experience. Um, and again, I haven't seen the ballerina. I. Every time I go down there, I hope I do, but I haven't. Actually, I, um, I'm more fascinated by the mirrors in the lobby myself. True, true. And Very I, large mirrors. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and not necessarily haunted, but then you, you add to that, that, um, actually pretty much opposite one of the large mirrors in the lobby is the portrait of George Coleman who built the theater and it's under glass, it's a photo and his eyes follow you. Yeah, there's- And of course, and of course you've got the, the glass of the, over the photo, which- Is a mirror is a mirror. Yeah. And it, it is a little unsettling how that photo follows you. There's, and, and of course, one of the 
notable spirits haunting the Coleman Theater is George Coleman. Yes, yes. Yes, and I do believe I have heard him. So. <laughs> Agreed. Complaining about the phone ringing. <laughs> there is a trail of energy in that lobby space. There is, and, and to be honest, I've seen shadow men through there multiple times, um, including in, in the, the lobby area, as well as coming down the stairs from the mezzanine. Um, and then there's been uh, various people who have been said they were pushed on those stairs. It's to me, it, it just is, you know, based on my experiences with the with the with the space, the the green room basement feels very ordinary. It does not feel like space that is out of space. No, it, it doesn't. Uh, but the lobby does. It does, and uh, everywhere where there there's you have either you know people have been pushed on the stairs where shadow men are seen george coleman's portrait um are all spots that are reflected from the mirrors yeah. yes they are it's just there's a there's a lot of energy movement throughout that space it's not necessarily negative uh, no, but there is definitely movement, and I find that really interesting. Actually, one of one of the photos of of us for Dark Ozarks is taken on the, the second floor of the lobby. That's true. That's true. Uh, um, you see any of our social media? A lot. Of, uh, it's used quite a bit for uh, at advertising the show and so forth. So, um, yeah. and actually, I think there was a mirror either to our side, I believe. <laughs> there, there's mirrors all over that lobby <laughs> mezzanine. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and inappropriately so. It's based on Versailles, but yeah. it's very fascinating. And uh, I, I, but I love the space. I, I do, I do. Um, and I definitely will risk uh, the mirrors again to, to go back, so. Oh, me too. Well, either for an investigation or a presentation or just go to see something that's playing at the Coleman. Exactly, and definitely recommend uh, checking it out. Um, and they give daily tours and, and not even scheduled. If you just go in, they will take you through uh, all four stories, so. Yeah. Yes. It's you know, definitely worth it. Um, that might be a good place to, to end, uh, yeah. but we want to remind everyone not to forget to check out upcoming events and merchandise at darkozarts.com and paranormalsciencelab.com. Thank you again to Always Buying Books and Beard Engine Brewing Company for helping to bring the Dark Ozarts to everyone. And on the next episode, we're going to be discussing beasts and monsters. Catch the Dark Ozarks podcast on Branson Podcast Network, 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Substack, or about any other podcast platform. Thank you, everyone. And remember, there are no easy answers in the dark Ozarks.